Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we react to the new trailers for Mission Impossible and the Gray Man Top Gun Maverick hits theaters, and director Joseph Kaczynski is our guest. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 215 of Real Blend, a podcast that is celebrating its 45th anniversary. Oh, wait, that's Star Wars. Happy birthday, hey. Star Wars. Uh, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend. And on this week's show, we're going to react to new trailers for The Gray Man uh, by Joe and Anthony Russo. And of course, the new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 Top Gun Maverick hits theaters and director Joseph Kaczynski joins the show that is an interview that you guys are really really going to enjoy uh joining me as always on the show is kevin mccarthy of fox 5 in washington dc hello kev sean gabriel jacob I, i'm actually really excited for the kaczynski interview i think people are going to be they're going to learn a lot about the filmmaking that went into this movie and I, I i i hear a lot of feedback sometimes from people who listen to our show after they go see a film and they they actually say, like, you know, that the interview can enhance their experience. Um, there's no spoilers in the interview. So if you I, I think listening to it before or after you see it, but before might give you a little more detailed explanation as to what they're doing for the filmmaking, which you'll hear shortly here. But um, there's some wicked stuff that that Kaczynski did for this film. Um, so I'm excited for people to hear it. Jake Hamilton uh, was bragging in the text thread that he's seen Top Gun Maverick twice now uh, before all the regular Joes have had a chance to see it. Hi, Jake. One, that's not true at all. That is that yes, is that is inherently false. What I <laughs> asked in the text thread was because I know each of us were talking about going back and seeing it again. And I thought myself, you and Kevin We'll have all seen it twice before recording today. And I was asking, is it the first time we've all seen a movie twice before going into it? It's not the case. Kevin's seeing it again tomorrow. Gabe says he has no interest in seeing it whatsoever. So ends up not really being strange. Ends up strange not being, yeah. on Gabe's part. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, just, he's just no top fun. No, no. G Gabe, Gabe was like, <laughs> no, but Gabe, Gabe literally <laughs> said, I don't care about Top Gun. I'm I'm going to the Downton Abbey new era. <laughs> Um, and IMAX 3D I mean, yeah, this week. You're wrong. But weirdly no, enough, I he know. pronounced it Downtown Abbey. Downtown, and we're like, Gabe, yeah. that's wrong. <laughs> it's producer Gabe. Hi, Gabe. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, boys? 
good. Uh, Jake has a fantastic new sweatshirt. That's new, huh? No, no, no. that's super old. I don't think I've ever no, seen you wear that old. before. Well, you can see it on YouTube if you want to. <laughs> uh, head over, head over and, uh, to the YouTube channel. Give us a like. This and a subscribe. old thing, over, as they say. We are over seven point five thousand subscribers on the YouTube channel, which I mean, listen, it doesn't sound like a lot, right? But it's it, considering how we've been building this this audience up little by little. Uh, I will celebrate when um, when we get to 10,000 subscribers. That would make me feel really you guys know how I feel about nice round numbers like that. So uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, and you're a regular listener on the audio uh, section. Even if you don't plan to watch the videos, just go over and hit subscribe. That'd be fantastic. Uh, Do you think your notifications um, as well too? Sean, that uh, the the Twitter verification organization is waiting yes. for us to cross 10,000 before they give you that little blue check mark. No, absolutely not. And here's the thing, too, uh, Jake, is that I've uh, come to terms with the fact that I'm just never going to I'm not going to apply anymore <laughs> to it because it's more fun to not have the check mark now. Like the bit is too good. That's that how I feel about it. girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's better to um, just not try. At least two Real Blend listeners made the joke of um, that PJ is going to get verified as a journalist now before, <laughs> before I will, since he got a journalism award from school, which I think is fantastic. Honestly, honestly, like and there, there obviously there'll be a part of me that will be happy for you. But there's a part of me that when it does happen, when you do get verified, that I'm going to yeah. be a little sad because I'm going to like every day that passes and you're not verified, the joke gets just a little better. Well, the good news is it's never going to happen, so you'll never have to feel sad. So don't worry about it. We'll be okay. If you want more uh, off-topic conversations like this, make sure you sign up for Real Blend Premium, uh, where you can get an, where you can get an ad-free version of the show, uh, an extra segment every single week, and a newsletter that I'm going to write. Uh, not this week, but I have another one for you guys next week. So check the description. An unverified newsletter. <laughs> Yes, uh, someone did. Uh, never mind. I'm going too far off the topic. We, and we have such a great uh, interview that we need to get to uh, with uh, Joseph Kaczynski, who is about to uh, have, uh, by the time you guys Wait potentially listen to this, a massive blockbuster uh, in theaters in Top Gun Maverick. Yes, Kevin. Before we toss this, we got to tell the story about Kaczynski's on the carpet. Yeah. Tell it quick, because we got it. We have a, a well, lot of show to get to. and We want to get to this. Hopefully, interview. folks, we can actually just turn them to uh, check Real Blend's Twitter feed because the video will be there but before that before that joe kaczynski talking about uh top gun maverick here on Roblin. absolutely um i'm sean o'connell from real blend joined by jake hamilton and kevin mccarthy joe kaczynski it's so good to have you on the show and nice to see you guys i know you're you're very close yet so far <laughs> yes it is <laughs> yeah i know the strange virtual junket system um but we wanted to uh we wanted to make sure that we had time with you here in san diego so we can take a deep dive into into this fantastic movie that all three of us are head over heels in love with. And so, um, yeah, we can't wait to pick apart all the different elements of it, starting with um, in your opening scenes, uh, your choice to use uh, the Faltermeyer theme song. Yes. And then go right into mm -hmm. Danger Zone. And I think it's uh, so perfect because it's almost like you're bringing back another set of old characters. These are characters who we associate with this franchise. And so I, I wanted to get your take on when it's right to lean on the nostalgia of a property and when it's time to branch off and do your own thing. Well, uh, I saw Top Gun as a 12 year old kid uh, on the big screen in the, in May of 86. And uh, I just remember how that film made me feel when I saw it. And I wanted at the opening of this film, at least to tell the audience, this is a Top Gun movie. We love this movie as much as you do. 
Um, you know, it, it opens in a very similar way. Obviously, that opening paragraph, we changed men to men and women, um, which is a small tweak. Uh, and, but then we end up on, you know, on the carrier and uh, it's not F-14s and A-6s. It's now F-18s and F-35s. But um, it does feel like a Top Gun movie. Obviously, Danger Zone uh, is, uh, is an iconic track. And to get to drop that in that opening sequence is, is a real thrill. But at the same time, you know, shortly after that sequence, once Maverick gets to that airbase, I think, you know, we see that we're going to be telling a new story and, mm-hmm. and, and we go in a different direction, uh, which was important to me and, and was one of the kind of first things I pitched to Tom on this movie was, was where we find Maverick, you know, 35 years later. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe, uh, also, I want to point out to people, this is really cool, that yesterday we were talking about this, that uh, if you remember the old Top Gun opening with Don Simpson's name, uh, and obviously Don Simpson did pass away, unfortunately, years ago, but they brought back Don's name with Bruckheimer, which was just like, oh, what a moment. Um, And, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this because this is fascinating for our audience. Our, Our people who listen to our show are really into filmmaking. They want to know how things are shot. And uh, we make it a priority to explain that practical effects really is the immersive way to make cinema. Um, so I, was, I wanted you to walk me through a, just a sequence, maybe even the one where Tom is taking off on the aircraft carrier and how the actors are essentially becoming cinematographers in these moments. Um, you built these specific cameras, they're hidden in certain areas, but talk about how the actor, maybe crews in that moment, how he's making that shot work, um, but also how it's actually being done. Yeah, so we... Uh... My my cinematographer and I, it's our we've done five movies together now. Claudio Miranda, we were um, amazing. We we've always been we've always shot with Sony cameras, going back to Tron Legacy, um, using the latest version um, with every film. And the uh, the latest Sony camera, the Sony Venice, was uh, we actually developed the prototype with them um, right before we started Top Gun. And uh, the the latest version, uh, there's a version of the Venice called the Rialto that splits into two pieces. So the sensor, which is a 6K large format sensor, so very, very high quality sensor, IMAX quality basically, uh, can separate from the recorder part of the camera. So you end up with a very small form factor uh, with a lens on it that's capable of capturing the kind of quality image you need for a 100-foot screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Claudio and I worked really closely with the Navy um, and stared in that cockpit and just pointed at every piece of equipment we saw and asked them if they needed it for the airplane to fly. And every time they said no, we'd say, pull it out. So we pulled all the uh, you know, extra equipment out and stuffed our camera bodies in all those spaces, which allowed us to fit six of these cameras in the cockpit. So we've got two facing forward over the, uh, the Navy pilot, and we got four facing the actor, um, you know, two over the shoulders, a super wide angle, like 10 mil fisheye that gives you that tremendous sense of speed. Uh, the one we used on the carrier, uh, shot and then a close up, you know, for the emotion. So, uh, we've got six cameras that are all wired to one switch that the actor can turn on or off. Um, but the, the frames are fixed. I would go out to the flight line before every flight, stand next to them with a monitor have them adjust their seat and I would adjust the cameras so it was the exact angle we needed. I'd give them eye lines outside the jet for specific pieces of action uh, and then we'd send them off on their way. And when they were ready to roll, when the, when the terrain was right, when the choreography was right, when the light was in the right place, 
and they were ready to shoot, they would hit that switch and it would turn all six cameras on simultaneously. So they're all recording at the same time. Uh, and then when they'd come back, we'd download the footage instantly, go into a debrief room, put all the footage, all six angles up on a giant screen, and we'd sit and watch all the footage together instantly. So I could see, did we get what we needed? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? Give them notes. And then they go back up again in the afternoon and, and shoot again. So, um, so yeah, so on that, that cat shot, you know, Tom probably did five or six that afternoon uh, off the Teddy Roosevelt. And uh, yeah, he's turning the camera on and, and recording that footage uh, by himself. God, I mean, wow. that, I'm telling the people listening to this right now, you got to go online and find the video feature about how they shot this. It is, it is insane. This is the way movies should be done. Joe, this is amazing. I, I, Jake, I'm sorry to jump in. I just want to really ask, Joe, did you, did you get a chance to go back and, and ask questions about how Tony Scott did it back in the day? And did you replicate anything that he did? They did yes. projection, right? Joe, didn't they do projection? Yeah, so the interior shots they did uh, with rear projection, it was like this spinning color wheel or something, which, by the way, it was pretty effective, you know, like yeah. I, I remember in the day, I never questioned it, you know, at the time. Now you look at it and you go, okay, you know, cause it's like the gimbal's swinging and the camera's disconnected. Uh, so it's absolutely, but, um, but the relationships and the story are there. And, and when that's all working, you just go with it. So, you know, it's, this, it's most important to get your story and your character right. But, um, you know, the one thing I did have a couple of the camera operators who worked on the original film. I had a number of crew members who worked on the original <laughs> film on our film. Uh, and one of them was the ground to air uh, operator. And he told me a lot of their ground to air stuff was shot on a specific mountain peak in Nevada, um, uh, looking down into the training valley. So we went back to that exact peak. I stood up there with him and our four cameras with our really long lenses and we shot our ground to air stuff from the same place wow. 35 Whoa. years later which wow. was uh awesome. pretty awesome yeah it was pretty amazing. Amazing. and those classic tony scott sunsets and like the red and the blue blues of like the control rooms all right jake go ahead sorry sorry <laughs> uh speaking of of getting the story right and, and i don't want to ruin anything for anybody but i really want to talk about uh bringing val kilmer back yeah mm. uh not not as a picture on a wall like a great substantial heartfelt will make grown men cry kind of scene necessary um, I, I, yes absolutely necessary and i i had read somewhere that that tom was adamant about he him being falcomer being involved in the film i was wondering if you could talk to me just about the evolution of what his involvement in, in the movie was yeah i mean tom was adamant jerry was adamant i'm obviously a huge val kilmer fan not just as Iceman, but you know tombstone and heat i mean it's like the chance to work with him is is a dream come true and to have him you know come into a film as Iceman uh was pretty epic so yeah we uh Jerry and I called Val we brought him in talked to him about the movie and it was Val who really cracked how he could be in it um mm -hmm. so then uh we worked really hard on the scene and and on that relationship and it's just great because you know they were rivals in the first film obviously we have that last scene of the first film where that rivalry becomes a friendship. And now we get to see 35 years later, how that friendship has evolved, how Iceman is his wingman and, and is always looking out for Maverick. Uh, and, and obviously the, uh, the emotional journey that Maverick uh, goes on in this film takes him, you know, he crosses paths with Iceman once again. And we have that scene, which was a, 
a very emotional scene to shoot uh, for, for Tom, for Val, for all of us who were there. Uh, you get to see two legends at their very, very best, um, you know, in a scene together. And you get to see Tom, what an incredible actor he is. Because, you know, we talk about the stunts uh, that he does. Um, but um, look at the career. You know, look at his first 10 years. Look at the kind of movies he was yeah. making. Look at who he was working with, you know. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. So to see him really get to lean into that side of, of what he's able to do with another legend was, uh, that's just, you know, it's obviously one of those days, uh, those few days on set I'll never forget. A day like that on set, is it where like everyone in the cast and crew wants to come out and watch? Or as a director, is it one of those like, look, bare minimum, like just the, the handful of people that yeah, need to be Yeah, I mean, here? listen, the, the actors, everyone knows that it's, you, you need to create a, you know, an environment that suits that scene. So it was very, very minimal. It was very stripped down. Uh, it was a very mm. small group in that room. Sure. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a very emotional day. Amazing job. Uh, Joe, I'm sorry if you've talked about this before, but I haven't seen it anywhere. Um, in an effort to get original cast members back, was Meg Ryan or, or Kelly McGillis ever approached or ever factored into any of the versions as this went through different forms of pre-production? Not in the version, not in the, the story I worked on. Clearly, their, their spirit hangs over the film in, in certain ways. Um, there is a glimpse, as you guys know, of, of both of them in the film. But it was important that we wanted to make sure we were telling a new chapter of Maverick's life. And um, we didn't want to be looking back the whole time. So, uh, so you know, we've got the, his relationship with Penny Benjamin is, is kind of the focus of this story, which you know, for the diehard fans is a fun one because she was only yeah. mentioned briefly. In the Admiral's daughter. You slept with the Admiral's daughter? Yeah, Penny <laughs> Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, no. Just that one line uh, was a great starting point for this this whole new character. And, you know, I'd just come off making a movie with Jennifer and uh, I, you know, couldn't believe that with the career and that she's had in Tom, I mean, they've been, they've both grown up in front of the camera, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, they had never been in a film together uh right. so you know i just felt like she was perfect for this role to provide that kind of emotional intelligence uh that she brings to every role uh for maverick's journey in this one by the way only the brave is a fantastic film yes it is. anyone I... is listening to this movie to this podcast and hasn't yet seen it please Go out of your way and say it before you go see Top Gun because it's thank you. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I was just about to say that. You know, Brolin loves that movie so much, and it is it is such a powerful film. Sean is one hundred percent right, and it's Joe great. directed the hell out of it. Thank you. Um, so, Joe, I want to talk to you a bit about aspect ratio changes because I, I I'm I told you this yesterday. I'm a physical media guy, so anytime I watch Tron Legacy, which is another amazing film you've made, and Daft Punk score to oh, this day is one of yes. my favorite scores ever. Um, but that film went full blown IMAX as we entered into the game. Just that it was so awesome. Um, and then in here with Top Gun Maverick, we're going from wide to IMAX 190. Um, yep. Can you talk about the difference in experiences you had on Tron to here? And I correct me if I'm wrong. If Tron went to 70 millimeter IMAX, was it film that you were using? How did, no. how did can you talk about the difference between the Tron two? Tron was shot with the the F35 which is a 1920 by 1080 camera. So it's an HD camera, which is kind of crazy to think that we shot a wow. film with that. Um, it's a beautiful image because it was a great sensor. Uh, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a 190 
uh, or sorry, 178, um, 1920 by 1080 camera. So we were opening wow. from, uh, it was actually 235. It wasn't 239. It was a little taller than um, your standard scope up to 178 on that film. Uh, this film shot with the uh, the Venice is a 6K camera. So over, you know, three times as wide, um, just a tremendous amount more information, which shows you how quickly the technology's changed. Um, we capture, you know, I've captured the whole film as I usually do. I capture the whole film full gate because we oh. shot spherical. We didn't shoot anamorphic uh, just by the, you know, based on the, the nature to use spherical lenses for the aerial sequences because they're so much smaller. Um, so we have the whole film full gate. Uh, but, um, you know, the dramatic scenes, the ground scenes, it's, it's, it just feels there's too much headroom, you know, for those scenes where you want to be a little closer and tighter and it's fun to get to those aerial sequences and be able to take the bars off and, and open it up. Um, so yeah, we do that. I think we have almost an hour of IMAX footage in this movie. The other thing we have, which is, you know, something that we haven't really talked about yet is, uh, because I had six cameras in the cockpit, um, I've got these side angles that we use occasionally, but don't use all the time. Uh, we also are releasing the film in a format called Screen X, which is a three-screen um, format. Oh, sure. Where the yeah, walls, yeah. the walls of the theater become um, uh, image, and you know, usually on those films, they have to create them in CG and fill it out, or put colors, or kind of blurred images. I actually had cameras pointing out both sides. So on the ScreenX version, you're going to get an hour of live action oh. side footage as well. Oh my God. Uh, so instead of going That's... vertical, we go horizontal. Uh, <laughs> and there's even a version where they do ScreenX plus 40X. So if you can find a theater that has 40X and ScreenX, you'll get three screens and you'll get the moving chairs and the smoke and the snow and all the stuff that happens with the 40X experience. Wait, is, is there one in San Diego? What are you doing later? Can we all get together? Yeah, no, and, no. It, it would be, bring your print. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, there's a couple, you know, and obviously with Dolby, um, Dolby Vision, uh, Dolby Cinema, another premium format. There's just, there's, there's a lot of interesting ways to watch this movie um, just because of the way we shot it. Also, it's That's, important to note that Joe points out when these aspect ratio changes, they're narrative based like like, like and it's it's great it's cool that you do that like i mean when you go to the aerial it makes sense to pump up and then in tron legacy you would jump into the game you'd go up it was like the, the, when there's a narrative reasoning behind it the immerse the immersion is such is is so much more so um and i know denis villeneuve did that on on uh, dune recently where he would bump up to the imax in those dream scenes so it's cool that yeah i just wanted to point that out because it's narrative it's a narrative reasoning you know joe when we when we hear tom working on on big films like like this film and and, and the mission films um we hear about the collaboration with whoever's behind the camera as a director very much so to the point where it sounds like tom is also on hand to sometimes make very big decisions so in that sense to what degree is tom not co-director but kind of co-director in the sense that like you know because he has such a history with these films he also has a, has a right to make some of the big decisions yeah, I mean, I'd worked with Tom before, so I I know what you're signing up for. It's it's he's, you're not just getting an actor, you're you know you're getting a a partner and like you said, a collaborator. Um, and he loves that collaborative process. That's what I think he lives for is is the push and pull with with a with someone else to kind of figure out what's going to make this film different. 
Um, he's made, you know, he's been working for 40 years. He's made 50 films. He's literally worked with every single one of my cinematic heroes. Kubrick. Yeah, yeah I know. That's what I'm saying. The closest that's I'll ever insane. get to Stanley Kubrick is is yeah. through Tom Cruise. So trust me, I, I all the time I'm just trying to get, pull whatever I can out of him. <laughs> Yeah, do you like, yeah, you probably ask him questions. It's cool. Oh, all the time. It's Michael Mann, Ridley Scott, Stanley Kubrick, you know, <gasps> it's just Spielberg, Spielberg twice, you know, it's Oliver Stone. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous when you look at the list. So, uh, so Tom is a sponge for information when he worked with those guys, uh, Scorsese and, and in my, you know, I'm a sponge as well, just kind of trying to get as much out of him. And, and that's, that's what's great about working with him is you get the benefit of someone who's been doing it for 40 years. He's very honest about the times he's made mistakes and what he's learned from them. Uh, so it's a great way to, you know, not make that same mistake again. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, it's an intense process. It's all in, you know, from, from the moment you get on set, you know, he's, he wakes up thinking about making movies. Um, and, uh, but it's, the benefit is you're going to get to do something on a Tom Cruise movie you've probably never done before. And, and that's, that's the excitement of it. Well, and it's got to feel good when you get picked to be the director of what's such an important project for him, you know, a legacy sequel that he's been waiting to do for a really long time. Yeah. Well, I had to, I had to convince him to do it. I mean, you know, the onus was on me to, to, to pitch him on it. When I flew to Paris with Jerry, um, to pitch this idea, I, I quickly found out when I talked to Tom after landing that he necessarily didn't want to make this movie. You know, he wasn't looking to make a Top Gun sequel. Um, mm. And uh, so I had to go in there and, and explain to him, you know, how I wanted to approach it and convince him to do it. Um, luckily, I'd made a movie with him before, so I knew... Oblivion. Yeah, so I knew kind of what might work, you know, and what he'd be looking for. So I had that prior knowledge. And, uh, but that, that half hour meeting was pretty epic. I mean, I'll never forget it. It was almost exactly five years ago from today. Uh, and that was the start of this whole journey. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, so there's a system in place when the, uh, when the pilots can't take Maverick down, essentially, they have to come back and do pushups uh, and, and it's grueling. Um, so do you have a system in place when your actors uh, blow a line or ruin a take when they're in the jets. <laughs> I mean, I think it was a little bit of group humiliation because they knew uh, all that footage was going to be played in front of everyone when they landed. Oh, so we, <laughs> I didn't pull them aside and show them their stuff by themselves. We'd put it on a big screen in front of everybody. So, uh, <laughs> but the flip side of that is um, when they did something great, they got a giant cheer from everyone working that day. So it was a real group effort, you know, that camaraderie you see on the screen among the pilots, that's not acting. I mean, that's what we felt on set every day. Um, it was so difficult what we were trying to do. Um, those, those little victories, you know, getting that kind of support from the team made a, made a big difference. Comes across. No, Joe, one of the stories I loved reading that came out uh, earlier and a couple weeks ago was that you shot over 800 hours of footage um, for this film. And like there would be days where you could be up for 12 to 14 hours and get 30 seconds of usable footage. Um, that is just insane to me to think about from an editing perspective, because I always think about documentaries and how they even figure out what they're going to put in there. Like when you have 800 hours of footage, can you talk about how you even find 
what you're going to use is it like daily where like you'll go all right let's cut this cut this we'll use this i mean there must there's so much footage on the cutting room floor literally 798 hours plus or so yeah i actually just got off the phone with uh my editor eddie hamilton and and he corrected me it was actually 813 hours oh. uh, <laughs> forgive me yeah, I mean, that's, almost a whole, that's almost an extra day that's a half a half day no he was he was like no it's, it was 813 because eddie, eddie watched every single minute i'm i guarantee oh. um yeah, I mean, that was really a product of just, like I said, we had those six cameras running on one switch and we had two jets going with six cameras each. So you're generating jets, right? Well, right. then we had, was? well, I'm talking, we had six cameras in the F-18s, but then we had Cinejet shooting those jets. Then we had cameras on the ground shooting those jets. And so the amount of cameras that are rolling every day is just generating this tremendous amount of footage. Um, so Eddie uh, was on location when we were shooting that aerial footage in a trailer and he had a setup where the footage would come in and it would go into this six camera array that you see in, I think, the first making of video when Tom turns the camera on, you see the six camera array. So that's being built immediately. And we'd sit there in the trailer and just watch everything that was shot that day on six angles simultaneously and make sure we were getting everything we needed. Because if we weren't, we needed to go back the next day and, and, and do that again. So uh incredible editorial team um eddie hamilton obviously you know mission impossible incredible editor uh combing through and and looking for those nuggets that were worthy of being in a top gun movie yeah joe i thought it was interesting that you guys uh reutilized danger zone uh but not take my breath away and i was wondering if the lack of take my breath away was because you've got this new song with lady which is a great they just released it last night an incredible power ballad like hold my hand is fantastic but does the does the inclusion of her new power ballad kind of make it so that you don't really need take my breath away yeah i mean take my breath away is an incredible song but it's really connected with that relationship you know uh, oh that's interesting that's a good point so so for 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 you know mav and penny we we needed something new and 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 lady gaga wrote this song for us that you know like you said from the first time i heard it i was like well this is it's just a classic song it's got a great melody and uh when Hans Zimmer heard it he's like I can build the love theme of the movie off this so wow. that's why you see Lady Gaga has a credit with Hans and Harold at the beginning because that song became the melody for the love theme used orchestrally throughout the film oh that's cool yeah so when you when you watch the film again you'll hear that melody in in his orchestral work um it's it's really beautiful I'm going to watch it again at the premiere tomorrow night. I'm, oh, great. I'm, I'm yeah. ready to see it again. I just did the tech run through this morning. so I th- Oh, dude, that's going to be so great. It, sound, it sounds amazing. Yeah, they did a great job. Uh, I'll, I'll end on this because I, I, I found this, this theme of it's not what I am, it's who I am to be really special. And it's, I was hoping to ask Tom Cruise this tomorrow on the carpet if, we have, if there's time and everything because I, I, I think it's a really beautiful way to explain what the story is and what's going on. What does that line mean to you as a person and as a director? Um, like, what, how, what, how does that line resonate with you just on a personal level? Well, you know, when I see him say that line, knowing Tom and knowing who he is, um, I, I see the parallel between Maverick and Tom Cruise, you know? Yeah. He, uh, he is who he is. He loves making movies. Uh, he never wants to stop. He never wants to let go. Um, you know, he's... People, you know, can say that the, the business is moving on and changing. But, you know, when, when that line and the one where he tells Ed Harris, you know, 
maybe so, sir, but not today. Like yeah. that to me now, post pandemic, he's, he's talking about the film business. He's talking about the theatrical experience. And uh, mm. I just find it's, it's, it's one of those lines that, that resonates more now in 2022 than if we'd released this movie in 2020, as we originally thought we were going to do. So that's, that's to me is, is, is a really profound line. Yeah. By the yeah, way, Ed Harris, Ed Harris, yeah. terrific in the film as well. Too. Oh, <laughs> we didn't you. get a chance to talk no, about that. That was a dream, well, dream casting. Yeah. I can imagine we are out of time, uh, Joe, but congratulations on this film. Again, it's, it's, it's so good. And we know it's going to play like gangbusters and we're dying for, for larger audiences to go see it. So congratulations. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. We'll see you on the carpet tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow, guys. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We want to thank Joe Kaczynski for coming on the show and Paramount Pictures for going out of their way to get him on Real Blend during what was a very busy uh, press junket and and press weekend as the world premiere for Top Gun was happening. Um, he's absolutely one of those guys who can hang on. I mean, he just he fits so beautifully into the show because yeah, of the huge. way that he the way he shoots practically uh, the way that he fields all of our totally geeky questions well that's one of the things i wanted to point we often talk about and other people point out as well and i think this is the strength of the show is that that we all come at interviews and reviews of movies oftentimes from three completely different unique uh, angles that are that are very much our own reflections of our own personality and i feel like he was the perfect guest for that because whether it was my style of questions or Kevin's style or Sean's questions. He had an awesome answer. It wasn't like, I mean, some guests, you know, tend to lean more toward one than the other. They answer these types of questions. Or if you're Ridley Scott, you just ignore my questions completely. Um, But he was able to answer anything and everything with as much enthusiasm as he answered the next or the last question. Yeah. And and this interview was cool because it's a deep dive. And like at the end of the day, the whole reason that at least from my perspective that I love doing the job that I do, and I think you guys would agree. And the reason we created the show is to educate people. We, we, We want people to understand why you're feeling a certain level of immersion. And like 
with Kaczynski's thoughts, and we'll dive into more of this when we do the review, because I know we got to move on. But, you know, that interview really is like these are things that we want to know the answers to. But these are also things that we think are going to enhance your viewing experience. Like at the end of the day, we all love movies. We want you to get to a level where you can experience things in a movie that you may not have known or uh, didn't know how it was shot. And it hopefully will bring you more immersion into the world. Um, Hell, we learn things in these interviews. Yeah, I I, I, I honestly, I say this every time I, anyone asks me what I do for a living. I wanted to go to film school when I was, uh, before I went to college, George Mason in 2002 and I couldn't afford it. I wanted to go to NYU Tisch. And I always looked at these opportunities, like a four minute sit down with Steven Spielberg or whoever would be as a way for me to go to film school without (laughs) paying for it. Uh, That's why I did it for free for eight years. My mom was like, why are you doing this? I'm like, because I'm talking to people who are going to teach me what I want to do with my life. Um, So anyway, so that's the whole reason we do these interviews. Spielberg says uh, you had the stuff. Whatever that means. Pay attention to that kid. I think he's got the stuff. Uh, yeah. So two trailers dropped this past week and they were both for action heavy movies. Uh, one that's going to be coming this summer and one that's unfortunately not coming out until next year. Uh, so it's a really long wait for it. So let's start with the Russo brothers who have a movie that is um, going to Netflix and not to theaters. Kev, is it going to theaters at all? Let me double check. double check. I mean, that. in general, in general, uh, Netflix fashion, they do it's, give. Um, I believe it has a week. I think it's a week. If I the trailer yeah. has, um, I think it's yeah, a red notice. Yeah. Okay, me, that makes sense. So this is the gray I'll, man, and it is uh, Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling, um, in in a a story that feels like uh, it sounds familiar. It. Sounds like a, it sounds like I've I've heard this story before, right? Like a top notch team of assassins. Uh, being ordered to go in and eliminate a guy who is also a, a top-notch assassin. Uh, only this time it's, you know, Ryan Gosling doing his level of humor, Chris Evans doing his level of humor, Jake is rolling his eyes. Before we close, before we get to Jake in a second, Kev, what's, what'd you find out? So it's July 15th, as as Gabe said, it's a week in theaters. And I always appreciate that Netflix does this. The only issue, though, is that at this moment, and I don't know when this will change, Netflix it doesn't play in like a Regal or an AMC. You do have to seek out certain theaters which is why they use the word select um mm. i know we've seen some stories though and i'm kind of hoping it goes this way eventually where like knives out 2 was there's talks of like 45 days theatrical before netflix which i think is a great idea because netflix can still make that box office money because it's their movie you know mm-hmm. um but in terms of this film i'm just happy that we're like red notice and the irishman and roma these are all films that got theatrical releases uh prior to their streaming which is, i think is great and um but yeah um, we'll continue with the gray man so so i'm excited to see this because i like the people involved i I like the russos Mm -hmm. i think ryan gosling and chris uh chris evans are both highly entertaining um ana de armas is in it as well too Uh, and this was looked like wall-to-wall action but if i'm being completely honest it wasn't action like there wasn't anything that really stood out to me that was like over the top like oh i've never seen that before and when we get to the next trailer Unfortunately, uh, there's going to be at least 15 instances of, of things that look like I'd never seen them before. And that's the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Uh, Jake, you were rolling your eyes a bit. What? This didn't grab you? No, I mean, honestly, if you take out the names attached to it, which is why we're all paying attention to it in the first place. If you take out the Rousseau brothers, if you take out Evans and, and Gosling and, and Ana de Amaris, it, there's nothing there that that is special. It's to me, it's it is a paint by numbers, very 
generic kind of action film that mm. I think we're all hyping up because of the names involved. But if the names involved aren't doing anything special, then it's just a bunch of really cool people we like doing a movie we've seen a thousand times before. I hope that they're saving the best stuff and the big surprises for the final product, mm. um, which in a way, I guess, is what what you know you should do. But if you took those actors out I would say, no, I'm good. I don't really need well, to see that. I've seen that why, movie before. Part of the reason why I think that they might be hiding something uh, that's a little bit more in depth about it is because the Russos are, can be content to produce something like this for another action director. Uh, and the fact that they stepped in and decided to direct this themselves leads me to believe that there's a little bit more to what's being shown in the trailer. But you're but right. Even the it, action, though, like the, the action to me left a lot to be desired. Like you can you can show incredible action without ruining your story. And there was nothing about the action sequences. I got to be honest, there was nothing about Gosling's performance or Evan's performance that really felt like, oh, my God, that's really, you know, you see the trailer for the nice guys or you see the trailer for Knives Out and you look and you go, oh, those guys are doing something that we've yeah. never seen them do before. That's really cool. And I felt like whether it was the action or their performances, nothing about that trailer told me we were getting anything truly unique or special. Kevin, I don't know. What did you what did you think? Yeah, I mean, like, again, the trailer, the trailer itself, I thought was forgettable. Um, but we all know that trailers can be misleading or, you know, and could lead us down the wrong path or whatever. But in, you know, Suicide Squad had one of the greatest trailers of all time. But that movie was bad um but in terms of like the russo brothers i mean obviously uh, one thing i did like in the trailer which i thought was kind of cool and this was just like a text thing where they did where they did captain america winter soldier and then civil war they nailed those two and then they went avengers and then infinity war endgame and you think mm -hmm. about the, those four films i mean what a resume and so like i am all they left in cherry just, out of that though <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, in terms of like <laughs> box office successes, I mean, it's like it's like when they did the Avatar trailer, they teased Terminator 2 and Titanic or whatever. Yeah. They could have done Aliens. They could have done The Abyss. They could have done True Lies, uh, whatever the one they did in the trailer. I can't remember now. Um, but in terms of this film, yeah, the trailer did nothing for me. Um, I, I it's funny. I remember seeing Chris Evans on Broadway years ago. And he had a mustache. Um, he, he played a police officer, if I remember correctly. I can't remember the name of the show. Um, but it was it was phenomenal. Um, and it just the mustache reminded me of that again. But, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, I the Rooster Brothers are batting a very high average and I'm mm -hmm. I'm I am all in to see what they do. I also really liked Cherry. I thought Cherry was fantastic. Yeah, um, I made a Cherry joke, but I actually thought that was I thought it was really well done. I thought Cherry was great. Um, and so in terms of them, I mean, that's kind of how we operate. Right. In terms of our in terms of how excited we get for a project i mean like the new tarantino movie we get excited because of the name we uh before i saw a, a single frame of footage of once upon a time in hollywood i was all in mm -hmm. um so it's almost as if like the gray man trailer didn't change my perspective it just didn't give me anything to be more excited about outside of what they have I mean, I, henry jackman who's doing the score he's a, a brilliant composer i love him and i'm excited to see kind of what he does they brought in this guy named stephen uh stephen winden uh for the dp who shot like some of the fast films. Um, yeah, Stephen F. Winden, that's his name. He did like, I think he did a couple of the fast movies and uh, he did Deep Blue Sea with by Rennie Harlan, uh, Die Hard 2 director. Um, but anyways, uh, long story short, I'm excited. It is the most expensive Netflix movie to date uh, after Red Notice, uh, $200 million budget from what I understand. Uh, what? And, uh, right, and that's where, that's where I wanted to take this now because I don't know the budget for Dead Reckoning Part 1, which I, I think that title is long, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, but in terms of like the budget on this and what I saw on the trailer, it didn't seem 
Now, here's the thing about budgets for Netflix, and we got to be very careful here because you have to understand the business of Netflix, because what's happening with Netflix is the actors aren't getting a back end, right? Because there's no back end, essentially, mm-hmm. because they're not like these. These aren't like box office successes and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and, you know, actors get certain percentages. So these actors, I mean, I don't know for sure on this, but I've heard actors are getting 20 to 30 million dollars a film up front. Okay. Um, and I don't know how much Evans and Gosling got, but I would imagine Evans could probably ask for a pretty penny. I remember reading somewhere that Ryan Reynolds got like a ton of money up front for Six Underground, which was the Michael Bay film, which did a lot of business on Netflix in terms of viewing hours, which we all we can dip right that down. Say, can point. you imagine what The Rock and Ryan Gosling both got for Red Notice? And well, Gal Gadot, it, too. Right. So look at Red Notice. So Red Notice is a actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I don't remember if there's an article on this out there, so I don't want to give exact numbers, but there was a breakdown of how much Rock got, how much Ryan got and how much uh, Gal Gadot got. And it was a lot of the budget. A yeah. lot of the budget was there. It was their salary because in terms of this, you don't have that box office receipt to give you that back end, essentially, yeah. uh, in, in a way. So those budgets are bloated, but they're bloated because the actors are making so much more up front. Now, there's special effects, obviously, and things yeah, like but that. Isn't and that a disservice, wrong. Kevin? Like if 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 they promote and they do because they did it with Red Notice, that this is the most expensive movie in the history of Netflix. But it is. But then people see it and go. But really like that? Like, I had, notice, I, yeah, I had a lot of people. Though. It did. But I What's had a lot of people come to me and go, really? That's that's the most expensive. Like, like, you know, I, it's, it's 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 the talent. It's the talent. Yes. I mean, you're, and, and, you're, and that's you're, what I had to tell them. I was like, yeah, well, you have to keep in mind. It's a movie that stars The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and, right. and Gal Gadot. Red Notice. Someone tell me, Gabe, if you can look this up, what was the Red Notice box office total? I bet you it was under like 10 million or something like that, whatever, because oh, that was in select theaters I'm or whatever sure. it would be. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you think about how much money that movie cost. You know, you're going to pay rock and all those guys up front. And again, I don't want to say this as fact. I don't know the exact numbers these people make um, on these movies, but that's why these budgets are so high. I mean, obviously, you have production value and special effects and things like that and paying out all the crew and everybody. But, you know, you get someone like Evans, especially at the Evans is at the top of his game. I mean, this sure. guy just came off of Endgame and Knives Out. How much did it make? So according to Box Office Mojo, it was only released internationally and it made $178,000. Right. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so there you go. Wow. And, and I thought Red Notice had some domestic screenings. but I if it, it did, too. If it did, it's, it's it, not uh, on Box Office Mojo, which I, I wouldn't didn't make a huge splash. Better info. Yeah. But that's the thing. So like Gray Man's going to come out. It's $200 million budget from what I understand reportedly. Um and you're going to get a week in theaters in non AMCs and non Regals, right? Or whatever, wherever it's going to be. It's not going to make a ton of money. So where, where is Netflix making their money? It's because they're giving the actors like they're paying them up front right away. And that's how it works. I but think this is the I interesting mean, thing, though, too. We yeah. talked about the fact that Netflix has kind of tapped out their number of subscribers like. Oh, yeah. Where are they getting that money from? Yeah. You know? Well, that was the whole They're- question when Netflix started doing all of these things. Like initially we were like, how are they spending all this money? And and from a business perspective, you you spend money to make money. And, and I get I get that that's how business works. But at some point, you got to start recouping some of that. Mm-hmm. And like if you're spending two hundred million dollars on a spy thriller like The Gray Man, um, you know, that's the whole selling point is Russo Brothers, Gosling Evans, Ana de Armas. It doesn't matter what the movie is. That's sure. You're selling those people and the filmmakers. I, I At least that's the way I grab it. But at this so. point, because there have been studies that are questioning just how many more subscribers Netflix can actually get. 
are they making these massive movies to get more subscribers or are they at this point making these massive movies to keep the subscribers they already have? Because at this point, they're starting to hemorrhage subscribers. Well, that's that's the question. Would you sign up for Netflix for the gray man? And I and, and, and I feel like most people already are signed up for it now. It is very easy just to click play like 600 mm-hmm. ground had a lot of people watching it and it was a bad, bad, bad movie. Right. And like and like, you know, Ryan Reynolds made a ton of money on that movie. So it's really just playable, easy content. But for a 200 million dollar film, you know, I don't know that that's the right way to utilize that. That's why yeah. in, and in my opinion, their slate, right. I'm sorry, Kev. No, I'm saying but like Knives Out's a great example of this. Knives Out, this is where Netflix, I think, is going to have to go now, because if they're going to you can't just forefront, you can't forefront these budgets on actors salaries. And, you know, you you're going to need to make money on the back end somehow. And I think if you give a 45 day, even a 30 day release, uh, it's still a Netflix movie. It's still coming out as a Netflix film. And what you end up doing if you give them 45 days or whatever it would be, maybe you can make a deal with the AMCs and the Regals mm. and get your film there because basically AMC and Regal, they want. right. They probably want a 90, but they might, they might, they might, I mean, 60? I don't know where, where we are now, but we might be able to, because of the pandemic and because we are where we are in the world, there may be a negotiation that could happen where Netflix and AMC and Regal are like, all right, 30 to 45. Well, you know, you get a standard release, 4,000 screens or whatever it is. And then boom, we go to Netflix after, but Netflix is the studio. They're the one who comes up on the screen. And like, mm-hmm. that's what I, I think Netflix is going to have to do. I think uh, they're motivated by making more money year over year. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. to Jake's point. Like they're running into, we, there are no more human beings to buy our service and we can only raise the price of it so much. And they're testing in some markets, you know, ad uh, driven content, right. Mm-hmm. Which you can't really do with a movie. I think it's inevitable that Netflix is going to turn to theatrical. Like to you have point. to, I, I think that I think yeah. that the HBO Max Warner Brothers model um, is is the is the thing that proved to Netflix that that's where they need to go if they want to make more money on mm-hmm. their investments because they can just say that's that's what streaming is now people will go see the Batman and then when it's on HBO Max however many days later they'll also watch it there and it lives there just like just like Marvel on Disney Plus I I, I think that's that's well, the easiest. A revenue stream that they can just tap into by throwing it to theaters a, a couple months early. One important note is this. And this is fascinating because this is and I think Netflix needs they're wrong on this. And Jake, I think we've discussed this before as well. They need to get they need to get back into the week to week structure on their series. And the and here's my theory on that, because Ozark drops, right? We talk about this and then everyone forgets about it like three days later. When you do week to week, like an Obi-Wan or or a Moon Knight, think about your Twitter feeds, right? And how much those shows stay relevant for seven, eight, nine weeks. So Mm -hmm. if you put a film out in theaters like The Gray Man or Knives Out 2, then you get those box office stories every every Sunday, how well it did. And then it's still in the news and it's still talked about. And then you're Mm -hmm. still promoting coming to Netflix soon. And you're basically getting a two or three month run of your film in the public eye. And it's yeah. such, it's so much smarter that way. Am I, don't you feel yeah. that, that the quality of Netflix, their series isn't what, I mean, there was a period of time where I feel like, uh, I mean, people, I, I know a lot of people who have given up their Netflix account because they've said, well, yeah, I mean, you know, Ozark's ending and I don't really watch stranger things anymore. And, and I feel like people aren't really staying on for the movies, but they are leaving because the series 
I mean, honestly, I think HBO Max is the strongest uh, streaming service today. Uh, I'd say Disney Plus. Just because yeah, they're, they're like one at a time. One yeah. show. You get one show. And when that show's over, we'll give you another show. And they're yeah. crushing it, yeah. though. Disney Plus Are is they? crushing it. Yeah. I, th- I could be wrong. They just seem yeah. to be more on the forefront of everything. Think so down on Disney. All right. Oh, it's not it's no, not no, no, I'm not down on Disney. I've just seen what they have to put out. Um, let's move on to the next trailer, which is, um, superior in every way possible. Uh, and this is, so this is mission impossible, dead reckoning, dead reckoning part one, um, on stranger tides. And, uh, I got to see this trailer at CinemaCon, and you just, it's like from the opening frame, you realize that you're operating in a different environment, right? Like Christopher McQuarrie. What I love about this is that we were talking about how, with something like Gray Man, it's the leads um, and the Russos that are this attracting us to it. But with Mission Impossible, there's, there's probably a lot of people who prior to uh, Fallout and Rogue Nation who might not even have known who Christopher McQuarrie is. Right. Mm-hmm. And now his name has become synonymous with uh, the, the with the Mission franchise and great action set pieces. Like now he's recognized as a as a filmmaker to pay attention to. And it's completely due to the quality of his work, like Rogue Nation and Fallout are two of the best in in a series of outstanding films and um and this one looks incredible but just the way that it's shot everything about it looks fantastic it looks like it looks like a throwback and a contemporary film all at the same time Mm -hmm. um in a series that's defined by its eye-popping stunt stunt sequences uh this one has three to four in its in its quick trailer moments uh that look like they're going to be all-timers uh, and yet still, the entire cast looks like movie star famous, like Cruz looks movie star famous. Rebecca Ferguson looks movie star famous. Um, people who we just see in, in brief moments, whether it be Simon Pegg or Ving Rhames, uh, look Kirby. fantastic. Vanessa Kirby looks outstanding. Uh, Palm Clementiev looks outstanding. The locations uh, are amazing, which is part of the reason why you go to the uh, Haley Atwell. For God's sakes, mm-hmm. like, I mean, every aspect of the trailer uh, works so incredibly well. And what breaks my heart, two things, is that A, we have to wait so long for this to come. Uh, and B, that part two is going to be a full year behind it. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of stuff to look forward to in terms of mission. But even with your told me he didn't know where they, where they were splitting it yet, which I, have a, which I have a hard time believing. But he said as of now, they're just making one big movie and cutting it in half and they haven't figured Dude, out where. Do you know what will kill me if the cutoff is? Um, when Ethan makes that jump that we see at the very end of the trailer, if they no cut way. it before he lands, they won't do that. No, because because no. you're, you're not going to you're not going to make the cliffhanger. You're not going to put the, the cliffhanger Literally. in the trailer. Literally a cliffhanger. What if it's a cliffhanger? Oh. <laughs> it's a literal cliffhanger. Yeah, right. Throwback to John Woo. Thank you, Gabe. Uh, Jake, even with your expectations incredibly high, uh, how the trailer land? Uh, beautifully. You know, what's crazy is um, and, and whenever I say that the trailer leaked over the weekend, I don't mean like a, um, you know, a, a, a fake downloaded copy. And we all felt bad for watching. It was a legitimate, clean pristine. copy, the, the pristine copy. Um, so I watched it. And because all of the locales like it looked like there, there was a solid 30 seconds where I thought it was like, I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't a mission. This is like. This is a bunch of different scenes from a bunch of different movies because there's no way that like this doesn't even look like a a new mission movie. All the locales doesn't look like like these don't look like places where they go in mission movies. Mm -hmm. And it's just a testament that like this is fresh and because it ended up being the mission trailer. It was just a testament to the fact that they're not rehashing anything. They're going to new places. They're making it look fresh. And and I feel like that was a cool mistake that I made on my part and a testament to this film and, and how they're continuously pushing it forward. But what I love 
most about these movies and this trailer is that I see these action set pieces. I see whether it's just how beautifully the, 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 the car chase sequences are or him running the bike off the side of the cliff. But in my mind, what, what I get excited about is wondering how they're going to be tethered to the story because none of the stunts in any of the mission films are stunts for the sake of stunts. They're an organic result of an actual well-scripted, beautifully acted moment. It's not just a collection. Kevin, don't take offense to this. It's not the fast movies where it's just like, look at these different things we can do with cars. It's actual I, embedded that's stunt pieces. That's mm-hmm. my, my belief of how the, of how the fast movies are. The mission movies are embedded action sequences that are the results of fantastic storytelling. And that's what I get excited about. Not so much even him riding off the cliff, but what makes him have to ride off the cliff? That's what I'm excited to see. See, I, I mean, what you're saying about Mission is how I feel about Fast in terms of like, I think the action does tell the story. But, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Fast is a different franchise, but I understand the comparison. Yeah, you don't put Mission up with Fast, do you? Oh, you I, don't put I Fast love, up with Mission, do you? I love both of them. Yeah, they're both them. They're both equal for me. I nah, love Fast. Oh, I, interesting. But you have to also understand that, like, I love the Fast and Furious franchise, I know, but I also I love know. the Mission just, franchise. So I was just yeah. checking. Yeah, I mean. But I'm also, How'd this trailer like, work for you? You liked it? I thought it was awesome. Um, but also, like one of the cool things about you know Macquarie and Macquarie is is you know what we're seeing with Kaczynski on Top Gun here is is practical in camera effects, and you know there is at the end of the day, like you know we are living in a world where like essentially Tom Cruise, I would argue is trying to save cinema as much as he possibly can. Um, he reminds me of Buster Keaton a lot. And just in terms of like the things that he, he, he does and for the love of cinema. And, and I love that he's a cinematographer at heart. I remember I'll never forget for fallout when he came to DC, like he was telling the story about jumping out of that plane. And he was the one that had to be within three inches of the lens as he was falling 180 miles per hour with a guy falling backwards who had never shot uh, uh, anything like that before. He was just a guy who jumped out of planes or a stunt guy. So, you know, Hanks Cruz is now the cinematographer in that moment. He has to he has to keep himself within that frame. Same thing with the actors in Top Gun. But going back to Mission, you know, the title I don't particularly love. It's a little little, little bit of a mouthful, but. In terms of the action and the perspective and just the way it looks and it's gorgeous. I mean, I was watching Fallout recently and just like going back and forth between that scene in the bathroom with the fight with Henry Cavill. Um, Dude, I to, just rewatched it. I went down a rabbit hole of Fallout just and I watched the bathroom amazing. fight. It's tremendous. I still don't love the third act of Fallout, but because I love Road Nation. I think Road Nation, I think, is my favorite Macquarie um, film. I'm still a Brad Bird guy, though. I, I'm still Ghost Protocol all the way in terms of my favorite mission film. But, you know, Macquarie is obviously, you know, an incredible filmmaker. If you haven't seen The Lay of the Gun, highly recommend that. Uh, one of my favorite movies he's done. Uh, and this trailer, again, it's interesting. And, I, and you guys sent this tweet in the um, in the chat because I haven't been on social, but the the tweet about how gray man came out, the trailer came out like a day after mission and it's not gray man's fault, but when you look at them side by side, there's a gigantic difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the Russo brothers are phenomenal filmmakers just as Macquarie is, but in terms of the action and the immersion, 
I was immersed in the mission trailer immediately because I knew what I was watching was tangible and real and in camera. Um, and then he just paints with CG. He uses CG as a little tool in his box to fill in, fill in some of the action that you can't do. Like maybe adding thunder well, and lightning in the fallout scene when he's coming down, when he's, when he's, you know, when he's skydiving. But and in, anyways, back to Dead Reckoning real fast. I think it looks phenomenal. The action looks great. I'm very excited about it. I love Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, I think she's one of the strongest incredible characters that i've seen in action films in general i love rebecca ferguson so much Such in this a franchise great addition to this franchise you know and for tom cruise to be ethan hunt and for everybody else to still shine around him simon Pegg, uh ving rames mm-hmm. uh you know uh you know everybody who's in these films the the guy who plays the villain uh in mission three syndicate uh, what a phenomenal actor he is he was in uh green knight the, the guy who plays the, the in mission three in mission four, which which mission is it? The guy is Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, I know, but there's a voice. The guy has the voice. He comes in four, right? And then he's back in six at the beginning of six when they're having that wedding on the lake. It's a dream sequence. Oh, what's the, that guy's name? Uh, he's the guy the, who the with the beard who they I'll put the straitjacket. Just continue, continue. I'll yeah. Anyways, I think I he's know a what great you're saying. There's actor. a shot from the Gray Man trailer of Ryan Gosling. It's it's like one of the money shots. It's at the end. Of, I know of you're him talking flying about. through the air. Yeah. And it, it looks it, it looks artificial in a way that there's a shot from the mission trailer of Tom Cruise right. stopping a motorcycle before it goes off a cliff like he's skidding to a start. And when you look at them, you realize that Tom Cruise is actually doing that. Um, and now, Ryan Gosling is nowhere near a highway or a car or a car. What's unfair um, about this comparison, though, is that not there aren't many people doing what Tom Cruise does. So sure. it's, it, 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 sure. and, and again, I'm not saying that this is like a battle of what's fair and what's not fair, but at the end of the day, the general movies you are going to get 99% of these films that you're going to get are going to be not with Tom Cruise. I mean, but not, that's, I mean, that's I, like saying I, like, Oh, like it's not it. fair that, you know, Spielberg's movie is better than this director because Spielberg's oh. a better director. Like it, it just is what it is. Like it's no, just, I know, but I don't, I, I do think comparing gray man and this, because they came out back to back. It is a little unfair to Gray Man because the majority of films use CG in that way. And Ryan Gosling is not going to be blowing uh, himself up and like, you know, going through an explosion like Tom Cruise would. It's a, Cruise. it's a very different scenario. So, it, it you know, I'm, I'm still excited for the Rooster Brothers movie. And I, and I do think that CG needs to be cleaned up a little bit in that shot you're referring to. But overall, I'm excited about both of them. But Mission is just on a different level, you know. To that point, I'll, I'll, I'll mention this actor. To further that point, Tom Cruise is allowed to do what he does because he's Tom Cruise. Even if Ryan Gosling wanted to do all his stuff, he could. <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna risk wasting that much money on him getting hurt. Tom Cruise is just Tom Cruise and he can say, Well, then who are you gonna have play Ethan Hunt? You know, he can, <laughs> yeah, he can yeah, play yeah. that card. Anyway, yeah. um the uh, the character uh, is Solomon Lane that you guys were discussing, and the mm. uh, the actor is Sean Harris. Yes, Sean Harris. Yes, ah, Sean Harris. That's yes, right. yes, yes. What, well what was well his done. first Solomon mission Lane. film? Was it four? I think you're right about it being four. Okay. For some reason, I thought he was in three as well. I know well, Philip Seymour Hoffman comes three. back. Kittredge is, is uh, returning in this franchise too, which means that uh, this friend, this uh, sequel could trace all the way back to the first one. Like someone made an argument that maybe Tom Cruise has been fighting the syndicate from this entire time that mm. he's been uh, up against them. So just the that Palma. speech about him having to choose a side. is just uh, so great. It's so great. Everything it, about Michigan is great. I'm so it looks like Sean it. Harris's first um, was Rogue Nation. In 2015, I believe. Oh, so it was five. Wow. Okay. And also, um, Dead Reckoning is the same as Ghost Protocol. Same syllables. It's only because I threw part one on it that's that's making it seem. Oh. Like a yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's the part one. It's the part yeah. one that makes it long. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. All right. Let's take a quick ad break here uh, so we can pay some bills and then we'll see you guys on the other side. And we are back this week in movies. The Bob's Burgers movie is reaching theaters. And I have to admit that um, I had a screening for it. And, you know, because a lot of times we talk about the fact that if something isn't screened in, in the markets and especially in Charlotte, which is off the beaten path, that it's not a good movie. This one did screen. I just didn't go to it because I hadn't seen a single episode of Bob's Burgers. Uh, but, Jake, you went to it without having seen the show. Once yeah, that's not because I, I co-host a movie podcast. Did Sean, did wow. you go to Shake Shack instead of Bob's Burgers? I couldn't afford it, Kev. Yeah, it's too <laughs> much money. Yeah. I have to pay for college soon. So I sat that one out. So how was it? Um, look, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I don't really watch Bob's Burgers, um, even though it is a part of Fox's uh, uh, animation, animation domination domination on yeah. every Sunday. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, I was able to watch it and understand it and enjoy it. Uh, even without having seen it. Um, I think whenever there's a TV show or I'm sorry, excuse me, a movie based on a TV show, you always have to review it under the guise of I either watch the show or I don't. So, if, you know, by all means, if you do watch the show and you want to hear a review from someone uh, who does, by all means, find that. But from the perspective of a person who watched it without having seen the show, I, I very much enjoyed it. There were multiple moments where I laughed out loud. The style of humor is very much my kind of dry, deadpan sort of style of humor. Um it's a little long. I think it's like uh, an hour 45 or something like that, which like there was a moment where I thought, OK, cool, we're, we're, we're kind of wrapping this thing up. And we still had about a half hour left. Oh, um, it's it is a it's definitely a good solid 20, 25 minutes longer than any Bob's Burgers movie needs to be. That being okay. said, it's fun. And I can't imagine anyone who does watch and enjoy the show won't enjoy the movie. OK. Sounds good. Um, I mentioned Emergency, Carrie Williams film uh, that is in I really want to see theaters. That. Streaming? I feel like it seems like Prime. it would be a great streaming movie. It's a good streaming movie. Yes. Um, but I also would advise people to check it out in theaters as well, too, if they feel safe doing it. And then, of course, we dropped a conversation with Carrie uh, as a bonus episode this past week. So go up and check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, we want to put on everybody's radar that Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to be arriving uh, probably today uh, at the time that you guys are listening to this show. So um, we did not get screeners to this one, which I find pretty interesting, which either says to me, and I, I don't think that it's bad. I don't think I, I think that Star Wars or Lucasfilm is putting plenty of attention into this show. It makes me think that there's some big things that happen in it and that they were worried about, you know, even the slightest spoiler getting out, mm -hmm. which which is, you know, interesting to me in this day and age, whereas Jake was talking about earlier in the show when a very clean copy of the mission trailer <laughs> arrives online uh it's getting harder and harder and harder at every level for these studios to keep these things under wraps and so um you know watch obi-wan as quick as you can because social media is probably i'm, I'm with, with well, you, okay with i don't want to mention one thing about obi-wan really quickly don't you find this strange that they're dropping two on mm. friday then they're moving the show to wednesday so oh, are they then next wednesday june 1st we get episode three. So within a matter of five days, we get half of this six episode wow. limited series. Isn't that a, a little strange that like for, for what is supposed to be like a behemoth of a Star Wars title and and this is like their summer anchor. They're dropping half of it within five days. 
I think the the day change is Wednesday. I think has been there like because they only run one series at a time. Yes, but uh, this weekend is Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, so I, I, I believe that's why that's. Time I get that, but that. but I mean, in in a world in which like they want to keep the conversation on these things going as long as possible, to to basically like well, they move have through half of this thing within five days seems like a just seems like the wrong. But move. they have um, they have Miss Marvel dropping June eighth, so it's like the, they got more money to be made, kind of thing. More I guess to talk so. about. No, I understand. So. It's almost like having the best of both worlds where you almost have a season drop, you know, or yeah. half a season. And then you also get the week to week, too. Yeah. I like that about um, the way that Prime Video does their series. Like they do the first two or three episodes to, to kick you off. It gives you a really good yeah. hook and then it goes weekly. I always like that model. Yeah. Apple oh, did by that. The way. I, think, I think Apple does that sometimes. And I think I think HBO Max did that for like some of their shows, too, which I think is cool. Have they announced the book that's going to inspire uh, Jack Reacher season two? And it is one of the best books in the series. Really? So, yeah, that was yeah. a fun series. That was a really it's good a series. very fun series. And this one, this story for the second one is terrific. So I'm really glad they chose it. It's probably not going to come out until next year because I think they're going to start shooting it in the fall. But uh, that's a series worth checking out. If you guys haven't seen Reacher on, on Amazon Prime. Uh, coming to Netflix after a very long wait, uh, Stranger Things season four, part one. Now that's a mouthful. Uh, how many episodes are we getting Seven. with this seven. no with with this part one seven seven, seven. episodes yeah seven, and, and then the last two which are um pretty long eight and nine come out on july 1st episode nine being two and a half hours holy god but the episode um, the, the, excuse me the part one finale episode seven is an hour 40 all right well keep going in terms of because you watched them all right kevin did uh, as well kevin did as well um without giving any details any yeah. details at all uh where does it stand in terms of the other the other seasons uh for me and, and and i think kevin and i will have different perspectives on this in this regard i did not like season three i didn't like the whole mall thing and and the the russians and it just felt it just felt like and it felt like it wasn't going anywhere um this is very much uh, uh as close to a return to form as there could have been for me. Um, it's, I, I still think, I don't know about you, Kevin, for me, it's still hard to say, to give it a full review because I don't feel like we've seen the full season yet. That mm. being said, um, for the most part, I very, very much liked it. Um, because there are so many different storylines happening at one time, the, the group is very much fractured and every fraction of the group gets its own story. Some work better than others. Um, mm. in, in my regard, I think some of the stories Whenever it would come to them, I'd go, oh, OK, God, let, let's get through this one. And then some of them mm -hmm. like some of them yielded some of the best Stranger Things moments to date. I think more often than not, it works. Not every beat landed for me 100 percent. That being said, without getting into spoilers, the part one finale is maybe the best episode in the history of Stranger Things and wow. made me reflectively look back on the previous six episodes and realize that I had been played all along and that they were playing uh, they were playing the long con. And it made me retroactively like I really liked episodes one through six, some more than others. But seven made me realize how much I loved season four, part one, because it was all building to a thing that I hadn't. They were they were painting something without making me realize they were painting it. Oh, God. OK, that's really interesting. I, I just got. Kev? <laughs> You get all choked up. You're right. Take it easy there. Stranger things, man. I didn't realize you're such a fan. Kev, same thing. Is he overselling episode seven or what? No, I mean, episode seven is insane. Um, there's a lot 
going on in this show that so uh, in contrast to what Jake said, I think I loved season three. I thought season three was actually my favorite season, to be honest with you. So I, I, I love season one. Season one and three to me are like right on the same level. One is uh, so great. I love one, but I love three. The mall mm-hmm. stuff I thought was awesome. And I thought I, I really like uh, three, too. Yeah. Uh, the the fact her, that that one yeah. guy was kind of was kind of just like a it was like a Terminator substitute was so cool. Yeah. Three was, was amazing. And Dacre Montgomery, who plays um, Billy, uh, uh, who I, I thought was an incredible character, who um, was was that Sadie, Sadie Sink's sister, oh, lifeguard Sadie guy? Sink's brother. Yeah. Um, Max's okay, he's brother. Great character. Great, great character. character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, first of all, the Duffer brothers, I think, are brilliant. I I think these guys are on a different level. The production in season four is the best production from a filmmaking standpoint that I've seen in this entire series. I mean, if you remember, like the first season had those cool shots, that that white van flipping and all that kind of stuff. But like now we're talking about some of the most cinematic oneers and experiences and immersiveness and the score, um, the juggling of like seven different storylines. And to Jake's point, some of them aren't as great as the others, but there are performances in this particular season that I wanted to highlight. Um, there is an actor named Brett Gelman, who I'm not really too familiar with. Uh, he plays Murray. Um, that's the character. And, and in this particular season, I won't actually, I'm not even going to say who he is, but you know who I'm talking about. If you, uh, if you've seen, oh, if you win, you Brett, know. Brett Gelman is, is hilarious. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. He so was in, funny. he was in season three. That's right. When he got, yeah. He was in season three. yeah. I He's also love in um, him. a lot of stuff about his performance shouldn't work as well as it does. If that makes right, any sense. Right. But he's great. Like, like I, I found some of the hardest moments. I, so the beauty of stranger things is that it, it works comedically, dramatically, and from a horror standpoint and an action standpoint, you're checking all four boxes in this particular series. Um, this season is hands down the most brutal and the most I would I thought most violent to watch. It was it's a really hardcore season. Like this is like some R-rated content. Like and what's fascinating is we've been watching these kids grow up, which is so interesting to me in general. I mean, obviously you've seen that in Harry Potter and things like that where actors grow up for you on screen, but it's the emotional arcs of these characters. I've been following them since season 1 and I just love being with them. I I think Joe Curie is such a phenomenal actor. He's so great in these. Um, Sean Levy returns to do his his. He always does episode three and four of every mm-hmm. season. Um, if you want to find out why he does that, you can listen to our interview with him for free guy. Um, it's available or, or, or Adam project. Um, but he talks about why he comes in to do three and four. A couple other people I want to point out. Math, Matthew Modine, who we've all seen in the series. His performance this season is outstanding. Him and Millie Bobby Brown like there are I mean, I just can't get over how incredible some of these sequences are. Uh, Paul Reiser, amazing in this season. Um, also want to put out some new people that I didn't uh, I didn't know a ton about and I don't want to botch their names. But the gentleman who played Jason, it's a character that you're going to see this season, an actor named Mason Dye. Um, he plays a character who's kind of on a revenge mission. I won't go into what that is, but he, uh, uh, Jake, you know who I'm referring to. Just a shout out to him because I thought his performance was brilliant. Um, but overall, I thought this season was incredible. Um, and I love season one and three. I think this is maybe slightly right below it. Uh, it's better than season two. Um, I have but a quick question for both you're of in, you guys. You're, you're, I just want to say you're in for a real treat. And to Jake's point, this show, like you think that there's boundaries this thing pushes beyond 
uh, things that you could imagine that this series would go into. It is dark. This is some dark ass stuff, like in terms of like watching this series. But I loved it. I was just just watch the camera work. The camera work is like these set pieces. It feels real, tangible. This is where the money on Netflix is really going. I would imagine. I mean, this is incredible. Um, I loved it. Uh, I really highly recommend it. Well, I want to get the Top Gun in a second, but I just have to ask real quickly. Do they do anything to recap what has happened up to this point? So uh, the, uh, I, brilliantly, they do, actually. So one thing you guys know about me is I don't like exposition. I, I, I don't like bad exposition. Exposition is, 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 is something that has to happen in movies. And I always point to Terminator 2 as the greatest exposition example ever, where they're recreating the Terminator 1 story within a scene where a character would need to learn that information. So what they do brilliantly in this season, to answer your question, Sean, is they do they have flashbacks back to original scenes from the original uh, seasons. And what's beautiful about it is they have that footage and they have these moments and you and it's the same actor who's now older and it's all done in conversation to new characters who need to learn what's going on. And they even like joke about the fact that like, oh, I'm telling you too much at once. Let me hold back. But you as an audience are kind of like, oh, I'm glad I got that refresher. I need, okay. I, I couldn't remember that aspect of it. They do a really okay. good job of making it almost stand alone in a weird way. So. OK, terrific. Um, the first email that I ever received from Paramount to start marketing uh, Top Gun Maverick was for a, uh, a, a drinks and chat with uh, the cast. Not Tom, obviously, but like the young pilots, essentially. Uh, the Paramount was doing in New York City, and it was from February of 2020. So that's how far back uh, Paramount has been waiting for Top Gun Maverick to make it to theaters. Obviously, uh, the world shut down and studios held on to a lot of movies or figured out how to get them to go to streaming. And Top Gun was one of those ones that led the charge, uh, along with Nolan and Tennant, of we're going to wait till theaters are ready and we're going to we're going to screen in theaters and, you know, you could have questioned that decision for uh, a number of different reasons and, and whether you were, are going to be the, the movie that bring people back to theaters or how it plays. And it was only after uh, seeing Top Gun for the first time when I realized I said, oh, that's why they held it like that's this is a this is a made for for movie theaters movie. It is it is calibrated uh, on every level to be seen on the big screen and to be seen with a crowd. Um, so the first time I saw it, it was a press screening. Second time I got a chance to see it with a packed theater uh, at a promo screening. And it it the only thing you could say about it is that it plays. It plays so well. Like there's there's applause beats. There's um, moments where people are on the edge of their seat and you actually you can physically feel them let out sighs of relief when tension is relieved. Um, it is, to, to me, a superior sequel. And if only because it's 30 years have passed and technology is so much better. Um, but but the story that it tells uh, without giving away any any details has more emotion to it. And it's emotion that's that's um, pivotal to knowing the action of the first movie. Like it builds on the the character development and the stakes that were uh, that you could find in the first movie. And the first movie doesn't have a ton of of uh, dramatic heft to it. It is. A, it's a stylish exercise. Um, but because of the things that you know about the characters from the first movie and and Maverick himself. Uh, it, it, this movie comes up with a way to present him 30 years later in a way that makes us it makes a ton of sense for us to go back and revisit him. It makes a ton of sense for him to be in a, in the position that he's in for this movie um, and and still give Tom Cruise the opportunity to show 
uh, that that Maverick is still relevant today uh, and and not just as a character, but um, but as a franchise, like as as you know, Kevin was talking about a little bit earlier about like Tom Cruise kind of saving movies or like it's you don't have to read too far beneath the surface to see the Top Gun is very much a commentary on on Tom Cruise's status as a movie star still and whether he can bring people back to theaters. Um, and I think this weekend is going to prove that, yes, he absolutely can. Uh, and it's great. I'm really glad to see that he's probably going to get a massive hit outside of the Mission franchise, because there's been some stuff written about him recently that that, that those are his like safety net pictures and, and stuff that he's done outside of that uh, hasn't necessarily caught on. Not that he's done a lot of it, but um, to see him come back in this role, to see him. It's really funny, too, like. When and this this shown through even so even more so on the second watch. When I saw Tom Cruise in the opening scenes of this movie, um, he's Maverick, right? Like the, the character is very different from Ethan Hunt. And mm. when it, so it was great to contrast this week, yeah. seeing Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible trailers and realizing, oh, no, he's actually really playing Ethan Hunt. It's not Tom Cruise, right? Because when he's Maverick, right down to a like line delivery of some of the oh, you'll notice it in the opening scenes and you're like, oh, God, this is the character from the early 80s or from the mid 80s. Um, he's back playing him again. And this is exactly what he'd be like. And he's not just doing Tom Cruise. He's literally doing the character. And so I think that's tremendous. I know these guys are going to talk about the technical aspects of it. Um, but to me, it's the emotion. Uh, I brought Michelle to the promo screening and um, th this movie's really emotional. Like, Be prepared for the third act to 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 really hit you in the feels. And I I was tearing up and 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 legitimately choking back sobs uh, at the at, at moments that on the second view when I knew they were coming and they still play, <laughs> they still play. Um, so it's 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 really, really great. Like, I can't say enough good things about it. It's a terrific summer blockbuster, but it's also one of the most successful to me uh, legacy sequels in terms of justifying uh, a reason to come back, an excuse to come back. And uh, it's anything but a cash grab. Um, it's a legitimate continuation of a movie that that probably didn't need a sequel 36 years later, but I'm th I'm thrilled beyond thrilled that it that it exists. So, um, Jakey, where are you at with it? Is, it? is it crazy to say that this is the second amazing legacy sequel that Cruz has done? I mean, do we consider Color of Money a legacy sequel? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, so it's long so before... Right. But still, true, but, but, he's, but he's still in a legacy sequel, um, which is yeah. amazing. Newman um, was Newman's the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's crazy. Uh, you know, for, for any of us, when we go see a movie, there are boxes that we're looking to have checked. And for each of us, some of those boxes are more important than others. And a good movie can make you appreciate some of the lesser boxes, you know, more than you think. But and you wouldn't think that that, you know, Top Gun 2 would be the one that would check all of those boxes and kind of give you everything that you want out of a movie. But it does. And, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, from a technical perspective, and we'll, we'll let Kevin go more into that. I was in awe of what they were able to accomplish. I mean, the best special effects, you shouldn't be able to tell that they're special effects at all. They should just be there and, and you just to take them as 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 gospel there were genuine moments where i was like god did they actually do that is that the one shot that special effects i don't know because i trust everyone in this movie to actually have done all of these things so from a technical standpoint i was i was in awe of what they accomplished i thought that the you're, you're absolutely right sean the emotional beats one in particular in the middle that, that's right in the middle of the film just i mean I, and you're right it it 
hit you more the second time around. Um, there, I, I, I've also seen it twice. The first time I saw it was was in San Diego for the junket, and then uh, just this week, a couple of days back, uh, I took, took a group of my friends to uh, to an early screening here in Chicago, and there were I kind of sat at the end. Because there were a couple of moments where I was just cur- I just wanted to kind of without being obnoxious or without giving them an indicator that something was coming, I would just kind of lean forward and just kind of like slowly turn, but just to see how they were reacting or how they mm. were going to react for a moment. And we're talking a, a group of of five people down the row, either like covering their face or like like a furrowed brow or like biting their fingernails. Like it was incredible to see like isn't that and and just you're right hearing the reactions from people like hearing like realizing that that collectively 300 people all at one time had been holding their breath and then let it out at the same moment because like Mm -hmm. like like we're being played in the best way possible and just the applause that came at the end and just you know the the and honestly i well, I will say it. I love that Lady Gaga song. I think that Lady Gaga song is fantastic. I think it's. Were up you surprised there. at how many times they use it throughout the movie? I, I didn't, didn't notice, notice that until through. the second time around. But yeah, but I score. think but yeah, but Joe yeah. said that that's why she gets a music credit in the film yeah. is because you re- and then it wasn't until the second time around, because when we saw the film for the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, they hadn't released the full song yet. So that was really yeah. the first time I heard the song when we saw the film. Yeah. And so, yeah, when it, whatever, if you've now if you've heard the song playing on the radio or, or whatever, um, you'll realize that it's softly played throughout the film and then used in the best way possible at the right, just the right moment and just the right way. And, and in the same way of, like I said, with mission, it's not just about the action sequences. Any movie can do a cool action sequence. It's the fact that the people in the action sequences I care about, it's about, I care about the, the outcome of the action. I don't care just about like the spectacle of it. I care about the buildup. I care about why it's happening. And I care about what happens to the people on the other side of it. That is what makes great action. Not the fact that a dude's riding a bike off a cliff or that a plane is doing a crazy, crazy thing. Uh, it's the fact that like, I care what happens when that dude who runs off a cliff gets to the ground, or I care mm-hmm. about whether or not the people in the cockpit make it back to the aircraft carrier or not. And that is the difference between a cool action sequence that we see in an action film and forget about six weeks later and Top Gun two, which is a movie that I think we're going to be talking about, um, you know, for, for quite a while. So it's it's I, I hate the expression who asked for this movie, because I would argue the greatest movies of all time. No one asked for. Um, in fact, most of the movies that people do ask for end up actually being bad. So to all the people who say, OK, who asked for Top Gun 2? You're right. No one. And it's awesome. So you're welcome. So go go see it. It was great, too. I just read about Francis Ford Coppola, like not wanting to direct The Godfather. Because it was a it was like a best selling book. Yeah. And he thought right. it was like a trash yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> trash and, and, book. And, and, and like it, it would almost be like him uh, directing the Da Vinci Code today. He's probably like, why? Why would I do that? Yeah. 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 But he turned it into something great. Yeah. Kev, I know you love this as well, too. Uh, where are you at with Top Gun Maverick? Well, there's two things. One, uh, in terms of what Jake's referring to is the action, um, it, you know, it, narrative storytelling and using action for narrative purpose like that you know any anything you do technically if it has a narrative purpose it's awesome um and i think one of the greatest examples of that was when we had denis villeneuve on the show for dune he talked about these imax shots and the changing aspect ratio from the widescreen to the full imax and he did it for a narrative reason it was when paul would go into his dreams um and so anytime you were in these desert scenes you would you would narratively jump up to a larger frame 
going to what Jake said, like when you have action that is narratively driven um, and in, in this case with Top Gun, one of the beauties of this film is that emotionally it, it, it's 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 the film we deserve for being a fan of that movie for all these years, because Sean said it great. And I've been saying the same thing on my air in D.C. It's not a cash grab. This feels like mm-hmm. a genuine, real, passionate story that actually needed to be told for just purposes of like understanding where the character was. And like speaking of narrative action, the whole goose storyline from first Top Gun, his death scene, and then Miles Teller coming in to take on the son, that little kid you saw with Meg Ryan and Anthony Edwards in the original film, you know, that is such a massive factor in all of the action. Every mm-hmm. bit of it is driven by that drama, that that guilt that that Cruz's character feels, even though that he was wiped clean of that from his record. At the same time, every bit of those flying scenes is as, as, as breathtaking as they are, come with a dramatic grounded nature to them. Mm-hmm. And that's why it works so well, to Jake's point. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're the littlest things I thought was it was so clever how they played with this, because like even Jennifer Connelly's character, who is based on a two line sentence or so in the first movie about the Admiral's daughter that Tom Cruise's character slept with. To have a fully fleshed out, realized character based on that line alone. Mm-hmm. And they actually did a really great job of building that and understanding and that whole love story and kind of like why there t- there's tension there and why they can't be together, et cetera, whatever it would be. It's all driven from that. And um, from a technical standpoint, I mean, obviously, these are the things that you would expect me to talk about, because emotionally, I was really blown away by it. Like to me, the a film hits a perfect point when it can emotionally and technically wow you um and the technical aspect is again married to the emotional aspect it's all part of it and you know as kaczynski said in our interview today and you're listening to on our show right now i mean this is one of the most immersive experiences i've ever had in the cinema and i'm i'm going i have an air and space museum near me that i'm going tomorrow to see it again and then i'm going again monday because like dunkirk and interstellar and all these films that were specifically played to to play in imax you know, there's a limited run of that. Like Dunkirk, I was like, I felt like when I went and saw Dunkirk six times all over the country and all over the whatever it was, I just knew that I would never be able to have this experience again unless they re-released it on 70 millimeter IMAX, which is probably not going to happen. Um, so in terms of this film, like Top Gun's one of those movies for me. Like I, I like it's almost like a roller coaster ride that I want to get off and get back on, right? Because I I just find the experience so thrilling. It's emotionally satisfying, but also insanely immersive. Like mm-hmm. you are in this cockpit. And I, I keep saying this and this. I don't think people truly understand how insane this is. But the fact that these actors were literally operating their own cameras, making sure their eye line was correct, making sure the sun was hitting them at the right spot, all while flying in an F-18, taking up to seven plus G's, Staying in character, remembering your lines and trying not to pass out or vomit. On top of all that, you also have an actor who's taking this themselves, but the character takes it differently than the actor does. Mm -hmm. So the character can't show signs of like what that actor may take from a seven and a half G pull in a plane. At the same time, you're operating your own camera. These camera shots aren't done unless the actor presses record in the cockpit while they're flying. I mean, it is insane to think about that. So when you're watching this film, obviously be immersed in the story. 
but you remember what you're seeing is real and yeah. and and like it's really great performance like miles teller and glenn powell and everybody who's involved in this film jennifer Connolly. All great performances. The Val Kilmer scene is incredibly well done. I was worried about that being a bit. I was worried about it not being a bit. I was worried about it being like, how emotional is this going to be? But the way that they handled this was so beautiful and emotional and real and natural. And it's Kilmer's is it's, it's such a that that scene was the scene that made me cry. Yeah, um, just like genuinely beautiful sequence. And the whole third act. I'll tell you right now is insanity. Like they drop the score out and you're just in these flying scenes and it is absurd how insane it is. Um, yeah, man, I was, I was blown away by, it. I was so happy that because Kilmer's scene, that scene could have not worked mm-hmm. and they did. Cause they're, cause you have to factor in what Val Kilmer is in his real life. Right. And kind of how they're going to play that scene out. And man, that was a hell of a scene. I was, it, it actually gave me, it made me feel really good for Kilmer that he was able to give Iceman that arc. You know what I mean? It was yep. so cool. So right, that was so we really hi- awesome. We have hyped this movie up tremendously. You guys will get a chance to see it this weekend. Um, and because Top Gun Maverick is coming into theaters, we uh, chose hashtag Tom Cruise blend to play for this week's blend game. And so, uh, Kevin, this, stay this with might you. be the hardest way. <sighs> can we just talk about before we reveal our picks? Can we just talk about how difficult this was? Well, I also feel like this choice is going to be my choice for today, you know, and that See, if you yeah, you're absolutely me this, right. Yeah, you're you ask me this right. a month from now and and my choice is probably something different because I, I'm, right. I'm sorry. And I know Gabe doesn't do this, but I'm going to kind of insist that Gabe gives his pick because for something this difficult, I think Gabe's going to have to do. Do any I'm of us politely, politely insist. Do any of us think we know the other person's choices? That's interesting. I, I don't. There's so many. That'd be tough. Uh, Kev, why don't you go first? Tell us, tell us what you picked. So your favorite Tom Cruise movie or performance. Okay. So performance wise from a, from a, from a completely performance. Uh, Well, let me reiterate. You guys do performance. You guys do performance where we're talking about the actor as an actor and their performance. Fair enough. Yes. Now, my folks fav- at home, I let them say yeah. movie. That's because. Well, easier, I, I also, for me, my choice is also like based on like the the film that he's in and the character he plays. Mm-hmm. And, and my, you know, there's, sure. there's a lot of factors. Yeah. But in terms of like, I think the greatest thing he's ever done from a actual acting perspective is born on the 4th of July. But it, that's mm-hmm. a film that I, I actually can't watch. Um, I, I had to watch that in sections because it's so brutal. <laughs> I mean, it's a really hardcore film. Um but damn, he's great in that. And Vanilla Sky as well. But my favorite thing he's ever done is Ghost Protocol. Um, damn. And and I'll, I'll tell you why. And, and again, this is this is why we do this segment. It's because it's, it's about our personal ties to this. Sure. Um, going back to again, this is I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I've had a lot of moments in my life where certain films um, from a from a production standpoint hit me and changed my level of immersion in the and in, in my and my relationship with cinema. Brad Bird. And what they did on Ghost Protocol, seeing that Burj Khalifa scene on an eight story IMAX screen. I've never I mean, it, I mean, again, Tom Cruise is the is the moment and that scene. And because of him and because of the way it's shot, that entire film, I think, is is is, is a masterpiece. I think Brad Bird. Do you remember when you saw that in theaters? I remember the audience I was with screaming like it was a horror film, yeah. like screaming <laughs> out loud. I've, Do you remember yeah, you yeah, when yeah. you saw it? Oh. I've oh, dude, I've never seen anything like it because I remember we I actually saw it again that night 
we, we interviewed Tom Cruise in New York City. I, I went and saw it there because I really I wanted to see it in that in AMC Lincoln Square, by the way. If you get a chance, anybody listening to this show, if you're in New York, um, going back to Top Gun for a second, it doesn't go to the full one, four, three. It won't fill the whole screen, but it goes to one nine. Oh, so you'll get like black bars, but they're, but it's still going to jump up from the normal widescreen. So Top Gun, for example, will go to like it'll go like from here to like this. But, you know, Ghost Protocol went from here to like this. So it's a different it's a different IMAX format. But the reason why I love Ghost Protocol so much is because one, it was an engaging, incredible action film, but also a great story. And I think he's so damn great in that film emotionally, but also from the action perspective. And again, going back to what we were saying, all the action is narratively driven. Um, But that Burj Khalifa scene, I hope I'm saying that right, is honestly one of the most incredible sequences I've ever seen. And this is not just me saying, oh, Chris Nolan, you know, does cool IMAX shots and Brad Bird did cool IMAX photography. This is Tom Cruise with a 65 or whatever the IMAX camera was they were using outside of the Burj Khalif crawling on the windows. And I just was I had never seen anything like it. It was we've seen Cruise do stunts, but I had never seen that before. And mm-hmm. that was like like the dark night for me was a moment where I was like, oh, my God, movies and cinema can be even more immersive than I ever envisioned it in my life. And you don't get Brad Bird doing that scene in the IMAX format he's doing it in without Nolan doing The Dark Knight with those cameras. And uh, since Brad Bird shot that film, and I'm hoping someone from Paramount's listening to this because this is one of my biggest pet peeves right now. You can't watch Ghost Protocol in the IMAX format, even on the disc. Um, it stays cropped and widescreen the whole time. You have Oof. a you have a film that has gorgeous, gorgeous IMAX photography, and including that Burj Khalifa scene. Can I watch yeah, it on Hulu? Hulu? On TNT, they do the IMAX for you. Sci-fi um, channel standing <laughs> on CFI. But anyway, and then, so and then a little a little Tom Cruise swings in on the bottom and lands on <laughs> the on the logo for Top Gun. But also, you know, just the interaction with yeah, Paula Patton and uh, and Simon Pegg and uh, you know. Um, Renner, that that whole movie is incredible. But Cruz in that film, to me, that was the moment where I realized that we were getting a different type of action star and a different type of action movie going forward. And I just love that film. That's my favorite Tom Cruise performance uh, in a movie. So, Jake, you wrestled with uh, your choice. Where did you end up? Um, I think mine might surprise you. Um but it's the character of his that I most often find myself thinking about. Um, and so I went with Collateral. Oh, uh, okay. I, I, can see that. I love Great the movie. simplicity of the plot. I love just this idea of a man gets in the back of a cab, says, I need you to take me to these five stops. It turns out that the man is a hitman and the cab driver is taking him from one stop from one kill basically to another. I think the, the dynamic that Tom Cruise has with Jamie Foxx. I mean, if you think about it, usually it's usually Tom Cruise is usually, I mean, obviously he has his co-stars and a lot of times they're ensemble cast and everyone is always great in them, but it's usually Tom Cruise and everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like with this, he really had to have a dynamic and go toe to toe with another actor and what he does with Jamie Foxx is fantastic. And I I loved uh, this idea of this character who we get to know, Vincent, 
Um, and slowly we start seeing him. I mean, this is clearly an insanely vicious, brutal, dangerous man, but it's a man who's also very much in control, very much like Thomas. When we meet him, he's very much in control. He's there for a job. He's in and out in LA in one night and then he's out of there. And we slowly throughout the night, just start seeing this man who is in control for a living, start to unravel. And it just just the unraveling of this hitman just becoming more and more. And then at that point, as the the um, composed layers are peeled away of Vincent, we start start to see the savage, brutal animal he's willing to become. It's the equivalent of like an animal willing to gnaw its own leg off if it's caught in a trap. We start Mm -hmm. to see just how far this guy is willing to go. Um if if he's pushed into a corner and it's i think i feel like vincent is unlike any other character he's ever done in his career but i also love the reason i think about him a lot is because i feel like as much as tom cruise shows us of this guy there's also this very nondescript like who is this guy and where did he come from we don't really know much about him we know he kind of gets the assignment from jason statham off the off the top of the movie he is dressed in such a way in my opinion so that if you saw him you were you would forget him He's a guy with gray hair in a gray suit, no tie, carrying a briefcase in Los Angeles. We've probably walked by guys dressed like that a thousand times in L.A. But what if one of those guys were a hitman? And it's I actually funny that the hair is what I always think. about. Yeah, the hair. And there's even that great line where with sort of that idea that you you want to blend in. The whole point is, you know, a, a guy dies on a subway in L.A. Do you think anybody will notice? And and how that idea comes back around. It's the character I most think about. I think man knows entirely how to handle Tom Cruise. I'm kind of surprised that they've never hooked back up for another movie mm-hmm. um, because I think the, the the work between the two of them is fantastic. Um, and it just I I love I can't keep my eyes off of. You know, and granted, I love Cruise and, and just about everything he does, but more so for him the character and his acting choices. I'm just fascinated by what he does with the character of Vincent. He does a lot without doing that much flashy stuff on the camera. And it's just weirdly dark and brutal and scary. And I just, it's so, I mean, there, you wouldn't use those adjectives for any other character he plays. So I just, I love it so much. I just Rachel. wish he shot it on film again. And again, I think digital cameras look great. Uh, nowadays you can make them look really good obviously deacons shows that but that film was early video mm-hmm. and i just i, I like I, and i love that I, I love michael mann and i, I think character wise that film's great i just cannot get over the the digital it's so high def and weird it, i don't know it just looks strange it. to me watch it again it's like a really strange it looks it's like old, remember public enemy with johnny depp he used digital I cameras know. there it looked weird it just yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't there yet that's all uh, um i had to go with uh a few good men I could not pick uh, a few good. Love people. that we chose uh, three different ones. Yeah, three very I, different films. Three I very different films. I should have predicted that for Sean. I don't know why yeah, I didn't think about that. I thought mine would be would be a little bit easy to predict because I've raved about this uh, this film before, and it's honestly it's one. And I I, I did it just recently. I, I go back and rewatch the the courtroom mm-hmm. scene over and over again um, because I think it's so spectacularly done. But but recently I actually uh, pulled it up and watched the entire film from start to finish, and his arc is just so incredible. Like to go from this uh, cocky uh, and I brought a, actually Kev, I pulled it up for this reason because I'm, I'm loving better call Saul 
And I, uh, I'm fascinated by the attorney that that takes quick cases because they're easy to solve, right? Like mm-hmm. the you're going to settle really quick and you keep your record uh, top notch. And he's more interested in the softball team that he's playing, uh, you know, down on the on the the National Mall than he is in in <laughs> in any of these cases that he's taking. And then here he gets this uh, case where he's protecting two young uh, Marines who um, are charged with something that they weren't charged with. But but the you I can't emphasize enough. Um, how great his acting is in that final courtroom scene and everything that he has to do. Mm-hmm. So from from the time that it starts, he's waiting for these two airmen to show up um, because he wants to disrupt Nicholson uh, and they're not there yet. And Demi Moore has told him at this point, like, if you don't think you have it, don't don't go for it. You know, if you don't think he's going to say what you need him to say. And he looks over at Kevin Pollack at one point and Kevin Pollack just gives him a really subtle like, don't don't do it. And with the questions that he's asking Nicholson uh, at the beginning about how much he packed and who did he call and all this stuff. And, and Nicholson's just, you know, shredding him, shredding him. Uh, and the point that I need to, to bring up again, in case I haven't mentioned it in a long time, is that Tom Cruise was 29 years old when he filmed that that scene. Wow, uh, I and he's going I knew that wow. 29. Yeah. And he's going toe to toe with one of the greatest uh, to ever do it in Nicholson uh, yeah. and not only holding his own, but stealing the movie away from him. And there are beats in that moment that in the wrong hands, like you, um, I, I think, you know, I deserve the truth uh, is a line just like you can't handle the truth that if if in the wrong hands, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't come across. It's it comes across as bad. It's it's the you, ha- you have to get it's the alley-oop. If you don't if you don't get that ball up in the right position, exactly. Nicholson can't dunk it, man. Exactly. It, dude, dude, perfect way to put it. And, uh, you know, Cruz is so he's such a master at all of the little subtleties that are important, like for him to deliver the line, like uh, if he was due to be on the 6 a.m. flight out the next morning, how come he hadn't packed uh, and how come he hadn't called anybody like just these questions that when you hear them and it's again, it's Aaron Sorkin, you know, so it's Cruz getting Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. When you hear it, you're just like, oh, my God, like this, he's he's got it. This is the case. It all came together. So everything about that movie is calibrated perfectly. And Cruz's ideal and it's his age. It's the fact that he's 29 at the moment. And, you know, I I think at that point we knew what he was capable of, but to see what he's gone on to accomplish. And it blows my mind because, I mean, the other two choices that I would hover around is Minority Report or War of the Worlds. Like his work with Spielberg is just dude. That scene in War of the Worlds when he when he's running from the from the things that are attacking the ground. I, I, I put that scene on probably three or four times a year because it is such an insane sequence like it is yeah. such an amazing amazing sequence um, he runs through the dust before, of a poor lady would oh. you guys say that and i i believe this he has the greatest collection of directors that he's worked with of any actor working today oh, i think so he's yeah, got i think that's scorsese fair. spielberg kubrick man yeah. um DiCaprio, uh, Rid- uh, uh ridley scott tony scott but dicaprio never worked with kubrick it's true. Uh, uh, I, I feel like I feel like a modern yeah, Coppola, Coppola. I f- yeah. you know, yeah, both Scots, Coppola, um, Oliver right. Stone. I mean, he's yeah. got to be. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, no, I no, no, no other actor working or. today has has uh-huh. those. And you know, what's a crazy stat. He only he only quote unquote, PTA. Only, but like, yeah, PTA. That's, That's right. Yeah. God. Oh, my God. God. Yeah, you're right, Jake. You're right. He 100%. only has 49 acting credits. Like, if you think about really? someone who's been working as long as he has, they have, you know, like 108 or yeah. whatever. 
but he just doesn't he's a star yeah. he doesn't take on well, there was a know. really great if you get a chance guys there's a great um new york times article that came out this weekend that brings up this idea of um that we've discussed before of is he the last great movie star yeah, yeah which and, comes and, up. and yeah. it addresses yes it addresses like look like, like every yes, time he a has lot a people, blockbuster yeah. it feels like someone writes yeah that. <laughs> and, and i think and i think too like and it's not to dismiss like a DiCaprio or a Denzel, an actor who clearly people um, go out to see if they're there. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about the type of films that Cruz yeah. is making, particularly right now. Also, the way I he think, operates carpets, too. It's like a yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there's yeah. something about him that says like movie star. That's just yeah. different than a Denzel or a DiCaprio. It's the end of a generation for sure. Yeah. So audience picks. Uh, Caleb uh, agreed with me and said a few good men. Rachel Ho says uh can't choose between minority report and collateral got him the the masterpiece eyes wide shut Mm -hmm. harry case went with edge of tomorrow judy lichtman said risky business uh ariel pace says lions for lambs redford directed yep uh she writes because who else could go head to head with meryl streep directed by robert redford uh jose iglesias went with interview with the vampire david said Mm. tropic thunder uh, and Lowen M says Magnolia. Wait, uh, Gabe, I'm gonna. I know you hate you sure. hate this, but just I'm gonna I'm gonna ask so, you to I'm gonna ask you to pick. <laughs> I will repeat Sean's point, which is like I always feel this way, but especially this one. It's this is today's pick, sure. Um, which is it, you're absolutely right. Uh, and it's the two that it would probably most often float between are probably Magnolia and Tropic mm-hmm. Thunder. And I think that those are both examples of him not doing a Tom Cruise thing, and that's mm-hmm. probably why I'm drawn to those. Magnolia specifically for me was like, I think I kind of always think of it as the first time where I was like, oh, he can really like build a character and disappear, quote unquote, mm. and 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 not just be like this. I mean, the character is charismatic, but he's not. He just should have like, won the Oscar for that. He's yeah, not just, choosing his two most vulgar performances as well. Too, yeah. Go back well, to his dialogue. Again, they're unsafe. Those are unsafe yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for a movie Absolutely. star. Those are unsafe performances. Um, and Tropic Thunder for. Very similar reasons, but also just incredibly fun. I love that he lost himself in that. I didn't know it was um, Tom Cruise until the movie ended. Yeah. yeah like, no joke. I, I was sitting in a theater and I was like, that guy who's playing the 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 studio head is incredible. Who is that? And then the movie <laughs> ended. I'm not. This is not a joke. I genuinely did not know it was Tom Cruise. And so I saw great. him arrive at the premiere and I was like, oh, he's which, just a producer. Which for him, think about that for him. He's similar to similar to um, Farrell with with uh, Penguin, like. Think about mm-hmm. how freeing it had to be for him to kind of think like he doesn't have to be Tom right. Cruise. Like he or yep. he's not like he doesn't have to think of it as like his face even, you know, because he's so unrecognizable. Also, to Jake's point, Cameron Crowe, Vanilla Sky. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, like, yeah, yeah I think Jake's, Jake, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think I don't think there's an actor working today who has a better. If anyone knows, let me know. Yeah. Is there anybody know. else? Yeah. Who has that? Who has that resume? All right. Tom uh, Hanks. Yeah, but Hanks hasn't hasn't had Scorsese or um, yeah. or Kubrick. Now he's, he has Coen Brothers, which I don't think Cruz has had. Uh, this That'd is be interesting. This is, I'd want to see that. This is an well, interesting yeah. question. Yeah. All right. Uh, next week, hashtag Jennifer Connelly blend. Going mm. after the uh, the Tom Cruise co-star. We're going to go over the films of Jennifer Connelly. Let us know your pick via email at realblend.com or hashtag uh, Jennifer Conley Blend on social media. Uh, our next premium episode is going to be a mailbag. So if you want to get some questions to the host of the show, uh, send them to realblend.com. Again, check the description below for more information on how to sign up. Uh, listeners can follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. 
And the show is at Real Blend. We'll be back next week with another full episode. So tune in till then. And uh, in the meantime, Elvis. Hockey pads. Hockey pads. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.